So God bless you guys. Good evening. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book, the uplifting book of Revelation? I have people said I can't come anymore. I'm too depressed when I leave. I'm sorry. I can do that to people, but, you know, uh, actually, the, the events that transpire in the book of Revelation after chapter 3, um, we're not going to, uh, actually, we're going to be in heaven starting chapter 4. So uh, the church will be out of here, but uh, God gave us this book, and Paul said he did not shun to declare the whole counsel of God. So we're going to keep, keep on studying it, okay? And uh, as uh, tonight, we're in chapter 10, Revelation chapter 10. And as we come to chapter 10, we come to one of the breaks in the narrative, or a parenthesis, if you will. As I have already pointed out, there are three groups of judgments that will be poured out on the inhabitants of the world during the seven-year tribulation period. They are the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and then the seven bowl judgments. The seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments. Those run from chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, chapter, verse 19. And the seventh trumpet takes place at chapter 11, 15, and contains the seven bowl judgments as chapter 16. Now, guys, after the sixth seal judgment, there is a break. A parenthesis, a parenthesis, which is chapter 7. We've already studied that. After the sixth trumpet judgment, there's a long break, a long parenthesis from chapters 10 to 14. We're entering into that parenthesis tonight. These chapters, chapters 10 through 14, these chapters serve to fill in some of the blanks and amplify some of the things that have already taken place. These chapters serve... As a, in that regard, they are a flashback of events that have taken place primarily during the first half of the tribulation period that were not included in the narrative in, uh, of those preceding chapters. So then after this parenthetical pause, uh, after the parenthetical chapters 10 through 14, we will again move forward in the narrative with the final events of the Great Tribulation period, starting really with verse 15, ch chapter 15, but the next set of judgments comes in chapter 16. So let's jump in. And, uh, you know, I, I, my style is to, um, I, as a teacher, I have to know everything that's right. It, it's not my nature to skip over things, okay? And so uh, you might think, Boy, this guy spends a lot of time on something that I'm not that interested in. Well, sorry, uh, but, you know, I just can't jump over stuff, okay? So I'll tell you what I mean in a second. So uh, verse 1, I, John says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Now, Commentators are divided on just who this mighty angel is. Many, many good commentators believe it is Jesus. It's Jesus, whom they say in the Old Testament often appeared as the angel of the Lord. Mighty angel, angel of the Lord. Jesus appeared many times in the Old Testament under that uh, banner. Yes, I, I, I agree, agree with that, although... Although he is never referred to by that title in the New Testament. Never called the angel of the Lord in the New Testament. Yes, he made cameo appearances before his incarnation in the Old Testament. The word angel in the Greek simply is angelos. Uh, it's a word that simply means a messenger. A messenger. And could be referring to a heavenly messenger or even an earthly messenger. It depends on the context. Context is everything. When you're interpreting the Bible and... And studying it okay so always always look at the context before you jump to any conclusion about any passage and what it means many good biblical scholars uh, and commentators believe that this mighty angel is Jesus for the following reasons let me fire them out to you okay in verse 1 it says that he is clothed with a cloud now 
uh, in the scriptures, Jesus is often associated with clouds. Uh, Revelation 1 verse 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, <laughs> and every eye will see him. Matthew 17 verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. This is on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus with Peter, James, and John. And so while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And I'll give you one more Acts chapter 1 verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. They were in, uh, uh, you know, on the Mount of Olives, Bethany, uh, and uh, at one point he begins to ascend back to his father. But clouds, cloud, often Jesus is associated with clouds, okay? So verse 1, he's clothed with a cloud. All right, okay, good. Uh, second reason people think this is Jesus, uh, this angel has a rainbow on his head. Verse 1 tells us that. Uh, I'm not give you, I'll just give you kind of one uh, of each of these. I, I gave you three in this previous one, but uh, there are other scriptures we could point. I just want to give you a flavor of what uh, why people think this is Jesus. Okay. So secondly, this angel has a rainbow on his head. Uh, verse 1 tells us, uh, Revelation 4, verse 3, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now we know that, that was around the Father's throne, but God, you know, but God is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so people say, well, rainbow was around the throne of God. Jesus is God. So, you know, uh, rainbows are associated with him as well. Number three, this angel's face was like the sun, verse 1 tells us. Well, Revelation 1.16, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Fourth reason they believe this is Jesus, many people, he has feet like pillars of fire. Verse 1 again tells us, well, Revelation 1, 15. And of course, in Revelation chapter 1, we know that's Jesus. We know it's Jesus. Okay, that's why I keep referring back to chapter 1. Uh, but in that vision of Jesus, John said in verse 15, his feet, Jesus' feet were like fine brass, as it uh, as if refined in the fire so this mighty angel has feet like pillars of fire uh, chapter 1 verse 15 jesus feet were like fine brass as it as if refined in a furnace uh, and it goes on to say his voice as the sound of many waters that would tie into the fifth thing fifth reason many people believe, believe this is jesus because in chapter uh, 10 verse 3 it says, this angel cries out with a loud voice, as when a lion, as when a lion roars. Okay? Well, Isaiah 31, verse 4 says, for, for thus the Lord has spoken to me as a lion roars. Hmm. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill. Okay. Well, Joel 3, verse 16. The Lord also will roar from Zion. And utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Now, it seems that the people who hold to the idea that this mighty angel is Jesus make a convincing argument. Now, let me tell you why I don't think it's Jesus. You knew it was going there, didn't you? Let me, let me give you the reasons why I don't think this is Jesus, right? Uh, number one, John is told in the book of Revelation twice, Revelation 19, verse 10, Revelation 22, verse 9, not to worship angels. Remember, he had, he's being shown vi visions by an angel, right? And who's walking him around, I guess. And, oh, look at this, look at that. Well, there are times when John gets so overwhelmed you know, look, we have the benefit of Hollywood uh, special effects and Star Wars and all this stuff, right? Uh, maybe this wouldn't wow us like it did John. This is a first century guy, okay? He knows nothing of uh, lightsabers and uh, Fourth of July uh, fireworks and stuff. He's a very simple uh, fisherman, uh, first century guy, right? And um, so he, the angel is showing him these things in heaven. 
And he just gets overwhelmed a couple of times and actually falls down and starts worshiping the angel, who's horrified. God's holy angels don't want to be worshipped. The angels are like, no, 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 don't do that. Get up, get up, you know. I'm your fellow servant. Worship God, right? So we know that God twice told John not to worship angels, but of course, we are to worship God. Jesus is God. When Jesus was on the earth, when people fell at his feet, he didn't say, get up, get up, get up. I'm not worthy to be worshipped. He received their worship because he's God, right? So my point is, if God now uh, calls Jesus an angel in Revelation, it's going to confuse everything. And I don't think the Lord would do that because he's just gotten done telling John, don't worship angels. Worship only me, God. And then he presents Jesus as an angel, a messenger. Uh, I don't think that would be what God would do. I just don't don't uh, go there, okay? It would just confuse things. Number two, why I don't believe that this mighty angel is, is Jesus. Um, because in uh, Revelation 10, verse 1, John says, I saw, and I saw, another mighty angel. Now, we've talked about this in Greek. There are two words for another. There is the Greek word alas and then the Greek word heteros. The Greek word used for another, another mighty angel, Revelation 10 verse 1, is the word alas, which means another of the exact same kind. Another of the exact same kind. Heteros means another of a different kind. I'll use an illustration one of my mentors used all the time when he taught on this, Chuck Missler. He said, look, if you give me a pen, and it's the best pen I have ever known, I've worn it out, and I say to you, I would like another. What do I mean? Another one exactly like it, right? If you give me a lousy pen, and the thing is skipping and blopping, and, and, and it's just a mess, and I hand it back, you say, uh, could you please give me another pen? What do I mean? Another of a different kind. I don't want the same crummy pen again. <laughs> Right? I don't want the exact same. I want another kind of pen. And that's the idea between these two Greek words. Alas, another of exactly the same kind. Heteros, another of a different kind. In Revelation, angels are mentioned 60 times. 60 times. If this were Jesus being called an angel, a messenger, John would have used the word heteros, indicating that this was a different kind of an angelic messenger from all the other angels mentioned in the book of Revelation, different because this angel, this messenger, is Jesus. When John says, I saw another mighty angel, again, another of exactly the same kind, it draws our attention back to chapter 5, verse 2, which reads, Then I saw a strong angel, proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal. Now, you remember the scene. John's in heaven now, ever since the beginning of chapter 4. And he sees the throne of God. And he is just wild by what he sees. He's describing uh, the majesty that he sees in front of him, the, the glory of God, the throne of God the Father, right? And then he notices in the Father's right hand there is a scroll. A scroll, and a uh, uh, it says uh, a strong angel proclaims who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Now, now keep that in your mind, right? Then what happens? The call goes out: heaven, earth, under the earth. Nobody is found worthy to take the scroll, break the seals thereof. And then what happens? John starts to weep convulsively. Because you realize if no one is worthy to step forward and take that scroll out of the Father's hand, that scroll, we believe, represents the title deed to the earth. If nobody can take that scroll and redeem the earth back to God, Satan basically stole it from Adam and Eve. They gave it to him, all right? But he's a usurper. Uh, it was not given to him originally. God made earth uh, for Adam and for Eve, for mankind, Okay. So as John is weeping convulsively, it says, one of the angels says, don't weep, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed 
to take the scroll and open its seven seals. And then John turns and sees what? A lamb as it had been slain, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mighty, very strong angel, who's worthy? Here comes Jesus. They're not the same. And I, I say that because the Greek word for strong in Revelation 5, 2, and mighty in Revelation 10, verse 1, are the same word in the Greek. Same word. It is obvious that the strong angel of chapter 5, verse 2, is definitely not Jesus. We just talked about that. Therefore, if the mighty angel in chapter 10, verse 1, is exactly like the strong angel in chapter 5, verse 2, and the mighty angel... Is in the in the in the strong angel in chapter five verse two is not Jesus, and this angel in chapter ten is exactly like that angel. Well, it can't be Jesus either. All right, are you following me? I mean, I, I find this fascinating. I'm, I I hope some of you are finding it somewhat fascinating. Um, just trying to rule out though this mighty angel for a lot of good reasons seems like it's Jesus, but no. I think that the evidence against that conclusion outweighs uh, what we've talked about that others think proves this mighty angel is Jesus. The angel of chapter 5 we know is not Jesus. This is an angel exactly like that one. And so if that angel wasn't Jesus, this angel can't be Jesus. That's the point, okay? So then who is this mighty angel in chapter 10, verse 1? The short answer, we don't know. We don't know, okay? But we do know. We do know these two angels, chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1, or chapter 5, verse 2, I should say, chapter 10, verse 1, are more powerful than the other angels. That's why they have that word before, the you know, mighty angel, uh, implying that they are above other angels in strength. There are, you know, lower level angels. It's like, an army in heaven, right? In fact, the Bible uses uh, terms. And it's not just God's good angels. Satan's got an army too of fallen angels. Uh, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers that Jesus Christ has vanquished and conquered over all of them, those are rankings of angelic beings. So we have, you know, you have your grunts, your grunt angels. I don't know what they do, uh, but they, they have things that God gives them. But then you have your commanding officer angels. You have your mighty angels. And uh, these guys, whoever they are, are mighty angels. Now, I believe they could very well be Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel and Michael. The name Gabriel means strength of God. Remember the strong angel, chapter 5? And the name Michael means who is like God. And this angel has been kind of uh, uh, taken to be Jesus. Because he's like God. Michael's like God. Uh, the reason that this angel, if he is Michael, reflects so many of the attributes of God is because, listen, holy angels stand in God's presence all the time. All the time. And all of the holy angels, I'm, I'm talking about the fallen angels, all of God's holy angels reflect, I think, many of his attributes. Not all, because he's God, God is God. Nobody can be completely like him. But these angels uh, reflect much of God's uh, nature, character, and all. And so people say, well, well, how come this angel seems so much like Jesus then? So much like God? Because angels, good angels, stand in the presence of God. Uh, you know, as God's children, we want to be like God, right? Well, the good angels want to be like the Lord, too. And they stand in his presence, and, and they have learned of him and absorbed, uh, you know, his, his, his love and everything else. And, you know, just they, they reflect that. Look, if that's true for, you know, ordinary angels, if I could put it that way, how much more so Michael, one of the chief princes, uh, one of the top guys, right? Number three. Third reason why I don't believe this is Jesus is because whenever Jesus Christ appears in Revelation, John gives him a unique and unmistakable title all the time. I'll give you some of these. In Revelation, John calls the Lord the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is called the son of man, the first and the last, the living one. 
Chapter 2, the Son of God. Chapter 3, he who is holy, he who is true. He's called the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Uh, he's also called in chapter 5, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He's called the lamb. He's called faithful and true in chapter 19, the word of God in chapter 19. And finally, he's called the king of kings and lord of lords in Revelation 19, verse 16. So guys, it's reasonable to assume that if Jesus was in fact the angel in view here, that John would have given him a distinctive title as he did every other time Jesus is mentioned in the book of Revelation. Number four, the fourth reason I don't believe that this angel is Jesus is because in verse one, John says, listen, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. And the context is coming down from heaven to the earth, to the earth. Jesus said that when he comes back to the earth after his ascension, he said every eye would see him, and he would establish his kingdom on the earth at that time. Nowhere in the New Testament do we ever read that Jesus will come back to the earth before that. When he comes back to the earth, when every eye sees him, and he comes in the clouds back down to the earth, right? Uh, he is going to establish his kingdom. We, we don't re ever read anywhere where he's going to come down bodily uh, to the earth and not establish his kingdom. So if this mighty angel is coming down from heaven to the earth, he can't be Jesus. Because Jesus would establish, the next time we see Jesus coming down from heaven through the clouds to the earth is in Revelation 19, the second coming. And what does he do then? He destroys his enemies and establishes his kingdom, just like he said he would do, right? All right, Revelation 10, verse 2. This mighty angel had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. In contrast with the seven-sealed scroll, the Greek word is biblion. We get our word book from that Greek word, but book bindings weren't invented in the first century yet. It's a scroll. Okay, uh, but the word Biblia is what our word Bible comes from, the ultimate book. Okay, um, but this little book is in contrast to the seven sealed scroll, the Biblion, uh, held by God the Father, again, chapter 5, verse 1, uh, and eventually taken by Jesus to open those seals, uh, which is what chapter 6 deals with. But this angel, guys, is holding a small scroll. Now, the Greek word is. Bibliridian, Bibliridian, the other one, Biblion, this is Bibliridian, and it's referred to also in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. We would say, and they're, they're connected in a sense, um, they're not two entirely different things. Uh, one is larger than the other, we would, we would say one is a book, the other is a booklet. Let me, the best way I could explain this uh, I don't know if publishers are still doing this. They might be doing it. I know they were doing it, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. If they had just released a new book, I'm talking about Christian publishers, okay? If they had just released a new book or were about to release it, uh, what they would do is they would do a mass mailing of a booklet. In other words, one chapter of that book to whet your appetite. It was good marketing, Right? It send you a really great chapter of that book. You read the chapter. I want to read the whole book. See, but that little book, that booklet, uh, was connected to the larger book, right? That's what's in view here. You got the scroll in chapter 5, the Biblion, that has all these judgments. And by the way, guys, uh, in the seven seals contain all the judgments. The seventh seal opens the seven trumpets the last trumpet the seven bowls they're all connected to the seven seals okay so in this one scroll you have all of god god's judgments but now what's going on is i believe you have another angel that shows up he's got a booklet okay a small scroll what is this small scroll basically it's the remaining judgments 
of those things that haven't been poured out yet. I mean, we're getting close to the end now. I mean, a lot has happened, right? We're already in the second half of the tribulation period. Maybe there's only a year or a half left. We don't know. But whatever judgments are left, I believe, are contained in this little scroll, this little booklet um, that is connected to the large scroll uh, of these judgments that are, have, uh, those, most of those judgments have already been unleashed, fulfilled. And now we see this little scroll, the judgments that are still remaining, those judgments that are about to be poured out. Author Mark Hitchcock said, and I quote, If the little book is not the seven-sealed scroll in chapters 5 and 6, then what is it? The little scroll is probably the revelation from God about the remainder of the contents of, the revel of Revelation in chapters 11 through 22. Uh, it's the rest of the prophetic message John will record. Revelation chapter 10 verse 11 supports this notion because John eats the little book and then prophesies again. These prophecies are, are the context of the little book. He eats the book and then once he has taken it in, speaks the rest of the prophecies in Revelation, end quote. So you get the idea, okay? You get the idea. And, uh, you know, we, we would say in a different context, God has saved the best for last. But that's not really how we can relate to judgment. Uh, we would say God has saved the most horrific for last. And, and, and we're reading about that. Again, verse 2, this angel, mighty angel, set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Um, that he put one foot on the sea and the other foot on the land shows how massive angels can be. I, mean, I believe angels have the ability to... Um, uh, to change form, to, to look like human beings. Uh, Hebrews, what, 13? Uh, be careful how you entertain strangers. You might be entertaining angels unaware. Wow, that says goosebumps up your back. Uh, angels can look like human beings, right? And I believe they have the ability to change sizes. They can become as large as they want to be. Here, this one gets pretty large. Uh, he's got one foot on the sea, one foot on land. Uh, there's a reason for that, though, uh, that he wants to show this massive size, and John uh, you know, relates it. Uh, it's from John's perspective, uh, but it communicates the idea of dominance. Dominance. Um, God wanted, this angel represents God. And as he's representing God, as God is about now to bring into subjection the rebels. And by this time, pretty much none of them are going to subject themselves to God. There's going to be no one left to bow the knee to Christ at that time. They will in heaven someday, because then every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. But if you wait till you get to heaven to bow the knee before Christ, you're going to hell. But God is in the face of all these, um, all this rebellion. And we just saw at the, at the end of chapter 9 how God pours out some horrific judgments. I mean, two demon armies are released. And yet it says people were so hard-hearted, they refused to repent. They're too far gone now. They've committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. They've passed the spiritual point of no return. There's no one left on the earth, I believe, at that point that's going to receive Christ. Everyone who would have received Christ has received Christ. And that's why God is ramping up now into the final judgments. Let's, just, let's get it done now, as we have said numerous times. When God begins the tribulation period with judgments, the judgments are not all that severe, and they're spaced far apart. Why does God do that? To give people time to repent, Amos. Lord, in, in judgment, remember mercy. Some people are so hard-hearted, God really has to ramp things up to get their attention. He loves them. He wants them saved, right? Uh, he's long-suffering, patient, not willing that any should uh, be lost, but all should come to repentance. So what God does is, as C.S. Lewis said it, you know, God whispers in our pleasure, shouts in our pain. Some people are so dull of hearing, so hard-hearted, that God, to, to reach them, God's got to really subject them to some pretty horrific things. But it's out of love and mercy. And so God will blast unbelievers at the beginning, pull back, give them time to think about it. Many get saved. He does that over and over again until we come to a point there's no one left. 
who's got a tender heart at all. And all those that are left are what's called the earth dwellers. Those who are abject, militant, hard-hearted unbelievers. They, they, they will never be converted. So now God is making a statement. You won't bow the knee to me willingly. You are going to bow the knee to me someday. They think that they have this planet under their control. The Antichrist has convinced them he's God. And so he's going to, you know, and, and so they're, they're blindly following this guy. And so what does God do? He sends an angel, one of his probably top lieutenants, who becomes a massive being, standing on the sea and on the land, and he's standing over these rebels. And I said, I had a secretary years ago, her name was Linda, and Linda trained dogs. And she was talking to me. I think last time I taught Revelation, she came up after the study when I was study, uh, teaching this portion. And she said, well, that's interesting because when you teach a dog, you have to stand over them. You don't, you don't beat a dog when you're training a dog. You, but you do. there's certain things you can do that the dog instinctively knows you're the master. You're the one in control, the one that they need to, to, to subject themselves to. She said, what you do is you stand over the dog, take a dominant position. And, and by that position, the dog knows that you're somebody they need to, to be subjected to. You're their master. God is doing that to the people of this world at this point. Not to save them because they don't want to be saved. But to show them, you can be rebellious all the way to hell if you want. But you will never. You will never control this planet. This planet belongs to me. My son bought it 2,000 years ago. And he is coming to take possession of what he has bought and paid for, whether you like it or not. And that's just the way that goes. <laughs> but, again, this angel represents God who is in control. God is dominant. God is... Uh, he has dominion, right? He's taking a dominant position. It reminds us of when David numbered uh, the people. Turn to First Chronicles 21. While you're turning there, let me sketch out the background. You remember how at one point David numbered the people. He numbered the people, and God judged the nation on account of what David did. Some people are like, well, what, what, is, what happened? What's, what's, why did God get so angry? Because you only number what belongs to you, right? You invite me over to your house for dinner, and I show up with a pad of paper and a pencil, and I start walking around uh, marking everything down. As if it belonged to me, you probably wouldn't invite me back again, right? You only number what belongs to you, right? When... We dropped our kids off at college, uh, all three of them. We went to Walmart and spent a fortune, uh, you know, buying all kinds of stuff. Now, that stuff was mine. So I bought a nice Sharpie, you know, waterproof Sharpie, and marked Angela, you know, Bob. You know, I, so I numbered our stuff because it belonged to us. David had no right to number the people. What David was saying is almost... I'm not going to oversell it because Nebuchadnezzar, when he did this, wasn't a believer. I believe he did become a believer. But when he walked on the walls of Babylon, right, on the, the top was a big uh, uh, walkway, but they used to do chariot races up there, uh, eight abreast, so it was big, okay? And he, remember he walked up on the top of the wall of Babylon and looked around and said, oh, this great Babylon that I have built. And what, what happened? God struck him. Sent an angel to strike him with madness for seven years. It gets into the area of God's glory and how God won't share his glory with anyone else. And David got a little puffed up. He was in leadership for so long as king, had so many victories. Kingdom expanded so much under his leadership, he kind of felt it was his. And that's what happened, and God judge the people and we read in first chronicles 21 verse 16 you can read the whole passage on your own but 
Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord. Now, is that Jesus? Um, it might have been. Angel of the Lord is sometimes used of Jesus in the Old Testament. I kind of think it was just one of the... It might have been the same mighty angel we're reading about in Revelation 10, verse 1. But David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces. You better fall on your face. Okay? Uh, you better take a, a subjective role immediately when you have usurped some of God's authority and his greatness. Uh, very serious thing, right? Um, so God is, through this angel, doing the very same thing. He's, he's taking a dominant position over rebels. And again, God is in charge and no matter, and control. Uh, and no matter how bad things get on the earth during this time, God is still on the throne. It's good for us to remember that right now, given some of the uh, ungodly uh, things going on in our country and uh, how we're prone to get very overwhelmed and uh, even uh, discouraged and, and a feeling of foreboding and like things are slipping away that we've known all our lives. And, and it, but we have to keep reminding ourselves God is still on the throne. I can't remember how many times the word throne is used in Revelation. I think it's over 40 times. Why did God, in this book, sprinkle his throne throughout the pages of Revelation? So that the people who would read this book during that time would know that God is still on the throne. Amen. I mean, yeah, you think it's bad now. This is nothing compared to what these folks are going to go through. Uh, and yet, God wants them to know that, look, this has all been prophesied. This is all in my plan. And we'll talk more about that as we move forward. But um, God is on the throne. Nothing happens outside of his control, uh, outside of his sovereign control. Aren't you glad God doesn't have a plan B? You know? You know it, it, it goes for us too. We are his first and only choice. Like Abraham, right? Abraham. Wasn't an Abraham and a Bebraham and a Sebraham. You know? It was Abraham. He was the guy. Was he perfect? No. Moses, he was the guy. Was he per No, he wasn't perfect either. But God didn't have a backup plan because he doesn't need one. He's God, right? Uh, Revelation 13a, Jesus Christ, the Father saw Jesus on Calvary's cross before the foundation of the world. It wasn't like Adam and Eve blew it. Oh, my goodness, I didn't see that coming. Uh, we need a plan B. God rushing around to... It's all in God's plan. And this is all in God's plan, okay? Revelation 10, verse 3. This mighty angel cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, listen, this is a good one. Seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write what they said. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. So, at one point, there's like this seven thunderous booms. And yet, John heard audibly what each thunder was proclaiming. Oh, started to write down, guys, don't do that. Don't write down what the seven thunders uttered. Don't write them down. The reason John was forbidden from recording what the seven thunders uttered, well, is not revealed to us. Any speculation as to the specific content of the seven thunders messages is pointless. Because if God had wanted us to know what they uttered, he would have had John write them down, right? That's pretty simple. You would be amazed how bookshelves have filled up with commentators who just can't help themselves in offering uh, their suggestion about what the seven thunders uttered. Now, why am I going to waste my time? 
reading commentaries by guys who I don't, hey, listen, I think they uttered this. I don't care what you think. God said, don't write it down, John. So if here's the interesting thing. Why did, was that even mentioned? I mean, if God didn't write, want the seven thunders, what they said written down, um, why, why let John hear it in the first place, right? Or why did God have to write it in the Word? And then say, but I told him not to write it down. Why did you skip over that? Because it wasn't a mistake. Okay? Well, then what was it? All right, listen. Hear me out. Um, this didn't initiate with me. I think it's interesting. Okay? Uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers suggested this years ago. So why did God allow us to know seven thunders uttered their voices to John? He, he understood what they were saying. And yet when he wanted to write down what they said, God said, don't do it. Why did God even allow that to be written down, right? Because of certain groups, God love them, who maintain that the New Testament canon of Scripture is closed. It's closed. We have everything God wants us to have. And you know what? I, I agree with that on one, on one hand. There are those who interpret 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. I got it in my notes somewhere. Maybe I'm going to get ahead of myself. Um, yeah, I am getting ahead of myself, but I'll go, I'll go there now. Um, in 1 Corinthians um, 8, let me, let me see real quick. Um, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10. It talks about um, how, um, oh my goodness, Let, let's just go there because my mind is, 1 Corinthians 13, 10, just quickly. I didn't want to make a big point out of it, but since I brought it up, no going back now. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10. Okay. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away, right? The context is spiritual gifts. And in this context, I think primarily, um, well, it's three he mentions, prophecy. Um, I think it's um, a tongues is another one. And... Um, I think a word of wisdom is, is the other one. But but the point is that you have people that interpret 1 Corinthians 13, 10, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. And they interpret that to mean what is perfect is the canon of Scripture. In other words, when the canon of Scripture is complete, when John finished Revelation, the last book in the New Testament canon, then prophecy, tongues, miracles, a word of wisdom, that all passed off the scene. Because that which is perfect had come. That which is in part will be done away. We don't need it anymore. We have the completed word of God. Okay? The context is not the completed canon of Scripture. It's the eternal state. When the eternal state has come, we won't need to prophesy. We won't need to speak in tongues. Love will endure forever. But you get the idea, okay? So you have a group of people, and again, God love them. They're, they're, they're very godly folks, and I don't, you know. But they believe that certain gifts of the Holy Spirit are passed away at the end of the first century. And you talk about speaking in tongues or uh, uh, any miracles, uh, prophecies, all that stuff. Uh, no, it's gone. And any church that practices those things, quote unquote, is not, being, is not honoring God. They're off the off the wall. They're they're just you know they've gone the way of these charismaniacs. Okay, um, I am not a, a cessationist. I believe the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation today, all of them. And it's usually it, it, they don't have a problem with with um, gifts of organization or mercy or those. It's always uh, miracles and tongues and prophecies and and things like that. A word of wisdom and so on. Uh, they target those things. And um, just the history of Calvary Chapel, I don't have time to get into it. 
we saw all of those things happening in Calvary Church, and they happen in a lot of other church. It's a lot of good charismatic churches that are not off the wall. They teach the Word of God. Uh, they believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and uh, but see, it could be, and I I don't know. Did God purposely let John know that there was something other that was part of his word that he didn't let John write down for us to read? So technically, the canon of Scripture is not technically complete, not until we know what the seven thunders uttered which in a roundabout way refutes uh, cessationism? I don't know. I know I'm way out there now. Okay, so uh, as I make my way back from the theological wilderness, um, I just throw, I throw that out there. because I'm fascinated with the seven thunders. They said something, okay? It just irks people that they don't know what it is. They're staying awake at night, uh, losing sleep. What did they utter? God, why don't you tell me what the other? I need to know. And so they come up with all these conjectures and all, and it's like, oh my God, why torture yourself? I believe someday we're going to find out what they uttered. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be uh, the Cubs are going to have a great year, uh, yeah, or something along those lines. Uh, something I think very substantive. All right, but here, uh, as far as God not always revealing to us everything. Now I'm not talking about doctrine now i'm just talking about just things that pertain to just our our practical lives right um daniel was forbidden remember daniel uh was forbidden to record certain elements of his visions uh, as in daniel eight twenty six, he was commanded the vision of the evenings and mornings which has been told is true but keep the vision secret for it pertains to many days in the future. Sometimes God doesn't let uh, one of his prophets uh, give us what God revealed to them because it wasn't for that generation. It, wa it wasn't it's for a future generation. In fact, later on, Daniel 12, verse 9, uh, Daniel says again, Lord, can I know? What, can you just tell me what this means? And God says to him, go your way, Daniel, for these words are closed up, these prophecies that I gave, gave to you, these words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. We are in the time of the end. And uh, more and more God is revealing things because, you know, we, we have the technology. I mean, think about that. Think of a person uh, a couple hundred years ago reading their Bible and they come across a revelation that nobody's going to be able to buy or sell without a number. What? Or? that when the two witnesses are killed in chapter 11, the whole world sees their bodies laying in the streets of Jerusalem at the same time. I, I'm sure they were; their minds were blown. Uh, how is that possible? Is the Bible even true? How could we even go there? What's, how, could you, how could the whole world see something happening in one specific area of the world, the whole world watching it at one time? See, we know. Men go to and fro. Uh, knowledge increases, Daniel, God told Daniel, and men will go to and fro about the face of the earth. Um, we are in that time. Since the advent of telecommunications, computers, uh, we're moving towards a cashless society. Uh, we don't need cash anymore. We can do it all through Bitcoin or whatever else they're using. I don't know. Uh, but remember, the Apostle Paul was caught up to heaven and said he heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Paul said, look, if I told you what I heard, you wouldn't even believe. I'd only do it a disservice. I don't know if God told him not to say anything or just Paul took it upon himself. But there are things that people, uh, God has revealed things to them that they have kept to themselves, primarily um, because God has told them. Remember, angel Gabriel came to Mary and uh, told her she was going to be the mother of Messiah. And she said she, she pondered these things in her heart. Um, you know, uh, sometimes God just says, keep what I've revealed to you to yourself. The time will come when I will reveal it to everyone else. Um, but here, there are some truths that God has chosen not to reveal. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 should be one of those go-to verses if you need to, you know, re uh, relate this to somebody, which says the secret things belong to the Lord our God 
But the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever, that we may observe all the works of this law. So, you know, and God said in other places, he said, look, I can't reveal everything about me to you. You couldn't handle it. You know, you, I mean, so I've only revealed what you can, you can handle. I mean, God is, he said, look, my ways are not your ways, right? Uh, my, my ways are, you know, it's like the heavens are so high above the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. I can't reveal everything about me to you. You wouldn't be able to process it. So I'll reveal what, I, what you can handle. And someday when you see me face to face and get your glorified body, you will understand. Wow. I'm looking forward to that. But okay. Uh, but here. Revelation, the word revelation, as we've already talked about, means unveiled or unsealed. And so, guys, these are the only words in the book of Revelation that God has kept sealed. Again, maybe as a way to refute some who believe that spiritual gifts are over because the New Testament canon of Scripture is absolutely completed. Um, let's stop there. I'm sorry. Um, let's stop there because uh, we get into another section. I don't want to just break this up. So... Uh, we will, God willing, pick it up in verse 5 next time, okay? Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm sorry? Somebody say something? Okay. Um, read the rest of the chapter. It's only 11 verses, okay? And um, we may even finish and get into chapter 11 next week. Now, chapter 11 is one of the most incredible chapters in Revelation, Okay. And uh, I think you're going to find it fascinating. We will take our time going through it, but uh, there is some incredible things that are put in chapter 11 that, wow, uh, well, I'll just leave it there, and we'll look at that when we get there. So uh, starting with verse 5 next time, Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We ask, Lord, that you will continue to bless these studies in your word. Lord, even though we are the generation at the end, your return is coming very quickly. Uh, Lord, there's so much that we don't understand either. And give us grace, Lord. Uh, speak to our hearts. Uh, bring all your truth to our minds. And give us grace to walk in that truth every day. Of course, the most important thing we can take away from all that we have been studying in Revelation is that uh, your coming is near. And we need to be vigilant and watchful. At any time the rapture could happen and the world could be plunged into the events of, of Revelation chapter 6 through 19. So give us grace, Lord, to be watchmen on the wall, to be on the lookout for fulfilled prophecy, and to uh, speak with all our heart to those who are lost that they need to get their lives right with you. The time is short. And... Um, we just pray you give us grace to do that. Lord, we ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.